Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. What an honor it is to be invited to come for your first Sunday of your 35th anniversary. Um, It's been six years that I've been at Global School of Supernatural Ministry. And I remember that summer that the first, I came here in May uh, to Pennsylvania, never been here. Never actually visited Pennsylvania ever until uh, I came to interview for the position at Global School. So uh, Roxanne was still living back in Illinois, and I was, I was around just trying to see where God was moving in the churches in the arena. There were, of course, some of the bigger ones in, um, in Harrisburg and Camp Hill and others, but I wanted to go where I felt like the family of, the family of God was really being celebrated. And uh, I met Dr. Melody, and I heard about Giving Light. And so I came up here the Sunday, and Linda Herbert Hebert was here. And I sat right over there, and I didn't want to, you know, you come in, and when you're a visitor, you don't try to make a big deal. And, of course, she called me out and uh, had some prophetic things to say over me that are now coming to pass. And uh, it's really, it's really, really amazing. So uh, Giving Light has been very much a part of our journey here uh, since I came over six years ago. So celebrate yourselves, will you, just a little bit? Come on, clap for yourselves, will you? It's really okay. Um, I was thinking today as we were driving, you know, when we planted a church uh, in Illinois, we always laughed that we did everything. We could write the book, How Not to Plant a Church. <laughs> Subtitle, How to Kill a Church, you know, in, in five, yeah, five easy steps. Yeah, we're not kidding. But one of the things we did, we ended up uh, purchasing an old school building out in the country. So not a not a uh, not in the city, not but we were in a town of about six or seven thousand people, and we didn't even have a building in town. We were out in the country. It was an old, it had been a one-room schoolhouse and everything, and and uh, the the school was built in such a way that the biggest place that we could meet was in the basement. So we we couldn't even meet on the top level. That's where all the classrooms were. We met in the basement, and at that time, I mean, we just. I mean, nobody really knew who we were or what we were doing, but uh, through a friend of mine, I ended up having a team from Metro Christian Fellowship out of Kansas City, uh, Mike Bickles. It, Metro was Mike Bickles' church before he started the International House of Prayer. And uh, the people that came on that team were a man by the name of David Dryling, who was a Messianic Jew, an incredible prophetic guy. Teresa Lee, who is another amazing woman of God, much with the same kind of fire that Dr. Melody carries. Uh, Julie Meyer, uh, if you know Julie Myers, who is uh, a worship leader. And Sean Boltz. 
And if you know who Sean Boltz is, God is really using him powerfully. And they, we had this meeting in the basement uh, of our, our auditorium in the, it was in the basement. And uh, they were just prophesying and stirring up prophetic gifts and activating us and things like that. And all during that time, we had a stage a little bit like this, but they were on the floor. And there was this mouse that kept running back and forth <laughs> in front of everybody the whole time. Yeah, and we can, we can never quite make a prophetic significance about it, except it was getting cold and the mice were coming in the building. But anyway, that's just part of, of that's right. We still, whenever we see those people, they remind us of that. So anyway, what's significant about giving light is, uh, and this is, as I, as I began praying weeks ago, and you know, when you get something, when you're, when you're getting ready for an event, uh, getting ready, you, you keep asking the Lord, Lord, what is it you have for them? And uh, he reminded me again. I, I kept saying, wow, that's, that's unusual. And he said, no, you need to give this to them. So I got the word Gilgal. Gilgal. And um, for those of you that know anything about your Bible history, Gilgal is the place where the children of Israel, uh, actually the second generation, because if you remember, the first generation died in the wilderness because they did not believe the promises of God. So there was the second generation, and those that were of the first generation, which was Joshua and Caleb and some of the priests, they were the ones that did believe the report of the Lord. Um, they were charged with going across the Jordan into the promised land and really being in charge of helping the children of Israel to step into the fullness of the promises. Now, if you remember in Joshua chapter 1, as a matter of fact, why don't you just turn there real quick, because I think I'm supposed to, this is not what my message is about, but this is where I'm supposed to go. Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to take this thing off. I am, I'm very comfortable here. In Joshua chapter 1, uh, it starts out with this, uh, this wonderful, in encouraging word, at least God does, to, uh, to Joshua. The first thing he says is, let me get there. <clears throat> Moses, my servant, is dead. What a great encouraging word, right? But he had to tell Joshua, because if you remember, God took Moses and took him away and, and buried him. So he had to let him know, Moses, my servant, is dead. And then he began to declare a prophetic word over Joshua that, and every time it was interesting, Joel, as you were, as you guys, your worship team was, was leading today, I kept hearing the phrase in, in at least one of your songs, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And you did it with the lion hearts here as well. <clears throat> he kept telling Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. The reason why he kept telling Joshua that was because Joshua was scared to death. He felt completely unqualified to step in to what God had given him. He had been faithful in serving Moses for at least 40 years. He had walked through the wilderness with the children of Israel, had seen the signs and wonders, but he had also seen all of those of his generation die off. 
because they would not step into the promises of God. And Gilgal is the place where God spoke to Joshua and said, you're going to cross the Jordan right here. And if you, if you look in uh, Joshua chapter 2, uh, they begin to set it up. The priests go in with the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the, the, uh, the whole throng goes and crosses the Jordan River. And then when they get done there, they set up memorial stones that they actually walked on that were part of that, and there came a memorial that sat there. Now, here is, here is the key for you guys. The number one thing that, that God told Joshua, he said, every place that you put the sole of your foot, I have given to you. Now, here's what's interesting. A few years ago, National Geographic was doing a satellite survey of the Holy Land, and they were taking those pictures that they take from the satellites, you know, that they couldn't ever see before. And in the place of Gilgal, there is this geographic formation that they found that looked like a giant sandal footprint. Now, I think that's pretty significant. Because it was at that moment that Joshua obeyed God and allowed his footprint to hit the promised land, that I believe there was a reverberation both in the kingdom of God as well as in the kingdom of darkness that gave notice that all of God's promises were going to be realized by the people of God in that generation so that they would step into the fullness of what they were created for in the first place. They were taken out of a place of slavery, out of a place of bondage, out of a place of having no identity, having no inheritance, having no future, only knowing what it was to be used, abused, and destroyed. And God brought them into the place of every promise of God as a covenant-keeping God, walking them into the fullness of of their destiny and purpose and identity that would not only be for them, but indeed they would rise up as a shining city on a hill that the all the nations of the earth could look at and say, well, look at how their God is treating them. Our gods don't treat us that way. We want what their God is giving them. That was the purpose of Israel to step into the promises so that in the promised land, all the other nations that were serving demon gods could look and say, I want what they've got. I, I'm stirring up holy jealousy to be able to say, that's the God that I want to serve. Now, why is Gilgal so significant? Because not only is Gilgal the entry point and the place where the footprint was placed, but it was also the place of circumcision. Everybody say, ouch. ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially for men. It's, 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 it's a little tough. When, imagine, imagine circumcising a man who's 40 years old, right? I mean, come on. But let me say something to you. There are, there are places and people that God has called within the body of Christ to be a place that calls people up to a level of the mature body of Christ 
where we raise up and we're no longer battling with this thing of I have one foot in the world and I have one foot in the kingdom. But indeed, there is a circumcision that takes place when this word and spirit come together and begin to bring light and liberty and freedom, but also a call to step up to be in a fullness of maturity of sons and daughters of God. That's what circumcision really means. And while it is a difficult process for some, and let me tell you, it's not an easy process for those that have to administer it. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? Anybody? You know, I want to say to you that that's the call upon this body upon giving like Christian fellowship, to not only evangelize, not only be a part of bringing people into the kingdom, but literally raising them up. That This is what's called making disciples is all about. We make disciples, that is, we grow them up into the maturity to so that they become mature sons and daughters, so that they partake in the divine nature and understand what's available to them and walk in the fullness of it, so then they can step in to the fullness of the promises of God. Do you understand that the day that they stepped across and put their feet on the Jordan, or put their feet in the Jordan and then stepped upon Gilgal, not only did they get circumcised, but something else stopped. Anybody know what stopped on that day? The manna stopped, didn't it? In other words, there was no longer the provision of God for hand-to-mouth feeding, no longer being babes but being men and women who were called to step in and to go after the promises of God, step in to collect the promises of God, and indeed begin to re re realize that with my own hands and with what we're going to do, we're going to include an increase of abundance like we've never known before. They moved from manna, as awesome as it was, they moved from manna to fruits and vegetables and game and to everything that they could possibly imagine. It, literally a land flowing with milk and honey. Flavor like never before. That's what you guys are all about. You guys are all about literally being a place and a people, a family, where it is a safe place. You are a safe place. You're a family where people can be celebrated, not tolerated. Randy Clark says all the time, go to a place where you're celebrated and not just tolerated. And some of you know what it is to be tolerated in some places, and it's no fun. Everybody smile, right? It's no fun. But when you're actually looked in the eye, when you're actually loved in a way that people love you exactly where you are, but love you enough to not let you stay where you are, but see the potential, to see the gold that's in you. See, I, I am uh, convinced that this is a day that God is raising up men and women just like you. That, yes, you see the dirt, but everybody sees the dirt. But we're the ones that are going to go after the gold. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? Amen. That's what this is all about here. So anyway, here we are. Yay. So I want to talk with you about um, this moment that you and I are in right now. You know, when Jacob was in the wilderness and he took that nap on a rock, 
you remember that this is in Genesis 28. We're not going to go there. But when he took that nap on a rock, he had such an encounter with God that he realized that he had stepped into a place that had already been prepared for him. See, let me say something to you. As much as Jacob chose the place to lay down, the place also chose him. I'm telling you, what you all carry in this house is going to continue to draw men and women from all over this region, and indeed from the nations to come. And it's what you have here that is choosing them. There is a supernatural connection. There's a supernatural drawing. There's a divine magnetism that happens that draws men and women to you as a family because you're so safe, because God can trust you with those that are not only unique in their personality. Everybody smile at me. Unique in their personality, but they are powerful in the giftings and destiny. And I'm telling you that God is done with the crowds of people where we put ceilings on everybody, where we put everybody in shackles and chains and say, you've got to live according to our vision for you or our dream for you. And I'm telling you that in Jesus' name, you and I are living in a day where there are families just like this that are being raised up that will begin to call forth the pure destiny, the pure power, the pure authority, the pure identity that is in every single man and woman that God is calling in this day. And none of us, as, as you heard Katie say, none of us are going to look like each other. We're all going to be a really motley crew in one sense. We're a little bit of a, not just a rock band, but really going to look like a motley crew in one sense to the world. But in the kingdom, it's all about the diversity and the beauty of, of people from very diverse backgrounds all coming together and walking in love and power so that we all rise up and encourage one another to be powerful people. How many of you know, and maybe Dr. Melody has spoken on this before, but how many of you know what a zero-sum game is? Anybody know what that is? Zero sum? Okay. So thank you. Well, at least one, one does. A zero sum game is like pieces of a pie. It's like having a pie. And in most pies, you cut it up into eight pieces. And if you have nine people in the family, somebody's going to be left out. So, you know, if you have an, an eight-piece pie, there's only so many pieces of the pie to go around. And for much of the history of the church, we have treated the kingdom of God and walking in the favor of God like a zero-sum game. There's only so many pieces to go around, and I've got to uh, basically battle with you and compete with you to get whatever favor, whatever grace, whatever blessing there is. And I'm telling you that that lie is being stripped off the church of Jesus Christ in this day. I'm telling you that in Jesus' name, it's being stripped off of us because how many of you know that according to Isaiah chapter 9, his kingdom and his government will have no end and is ever increasing every single day. So therefore, there's room for everybody to play. There's room for everybody to get a piece. There's no sense of lack. There's no sense of want. There's no sense that you've got mine. I'm going to get what you, what are you doing with mine? That 
idea, that mindset is being destroyed in the body of Christ this day. And what's raising up are men and women that, and whole families that can celebrate when somebody else gets to rise to the top, well, that can celebrate when people begin to exhibit their destiny and power and not be intimidated, not be jealous. The spirit of jealousy and intimidation is being broken off the church in this day. So all we can all rise up and celebrate what God is doing in everyone. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So turn with me to second. I know I didn't read a thing in Joshua chapter one, but remember the word, be strong and very courageous before the Lord your God is with you. Now turn with me to second Peter, second Peter chapter one, second Peter chapter one. So while you're returning there, I do want to, I had communication with Dr. Randy Clark, who is in the wilds of North Canada this weekend, and uh, he wanted me to give you greetings and congratulations personally. So Dr. Stephen, Dr. Melody and Stephen, just, he just sends his greetings and love to you. You know, many of you know that you guys have gifted us at Global School with the amazing gift of Dr. Melody Hilton. Uh, she is one of the core faculty at our school, not only in what she does for our second year students in regards to releasing them in their prophetic destiny and purpose in life. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but Marcus Digert, I don't know if you know that he is actually with Randy right now because he is uh, Randy's new intern this year. And uh, yeah, it's a, he's an amazing guy. Just just got a text from him this morning. But uh, not only does Dr. Melody come and teach our second year student track, but she was the one that brought uh, first the DISC survey and now the amazing core values index that uh, is turning our students in terms of understanding who they are and how God has made them, turning us all upside down. It's awesome. As a matter of fact, as I look for a new staff member, I'm going to be using the core values index to, to use that in our interview process. But um, I, I just want to say to all of you again, thank you for allowing Dr. Melody to come and be part of what God is doing at Global School. We're entering into some of our best years. And you feel it, don't you? You really do when you go there. And I just appreciate your encouragement when we come. Uh, we start Global Summer Intensive, which Pastor Stephen came to uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, we started actually later on this afternoon with orientation uh, and registration. And um, we have close to 140 people from 14 different countries that are coming to GSI. Come on, yeah, you can clap about that. Normally, we've run anywhere from 80 to 100, but this year there seems to be just such an outpouring of, of interest, and uh, we're just going to have a great time. So anyway, thank you, Dr. Melody, for giving yourself to Global School and uh, for really being such a huge part of raising up our students to be who they are in Christ. So thank you so much. Second Peter 2. I mean, yes, yeah, Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, this is an amazing passage of Scripture that I want to step into when we talk about being this, the generation that God has raised up for this moment. It says in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received faith 
of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop right there. Because it's such a small book, many times we miss the incredible revelation that comes out of these little letters. How many of you know that in the Old Testament, there's no such thing as the minor prophets? You know, they're, they're known as the major prophets and the minor prophets. However, if you get into books like Amos and Habakkuk and, and uh, Hosea and some of those others, you begin to see these amazing revelation of truth. Uh, that God has for us. So as far as I'm concerned, they're all major prophets because they were all prophesying the mysteries and, and the revelation of God. Here in, in 2 Peter, he begins to talk about what God has provided for us as the generation that get to advance the kingdom of God in everything that we do. And it's interesting here that he makes the point being that his divine power, this is in verse 3, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You know, there have been, in, in past generations, uh, a model of intercession and prayer that is come, coming to God like we're, we have to beg like we have to somehow convince God that we have a desperate need. And if we can somehow make a deal with God or show somehow God how holy we are or how righteous we are. And for when I was growing up, I thought fasting was something that you did in order to get God to hear you in the first place. The reality is that kind of teaching, so much of it, does not exhibit a New Testament reality or an understanding of our identity of who we are as sons and daughters of God. You know, I, uh, I've had, I've been blessed with three, four children, three of them that are still on the earth. I've been blessed with five grandchildren. And one of my grandchildren, uh, who's four years old, Aria, uh, came back to Pennsylvania after living in Illinois for a couple of years with her daughter. And they just moved back in with us again for a period of time, which we're happy 
and at the same time, we love our empty nest. Anybody, anybody can relate. But, you know, um, papas get to spoil their grandkids. I mean, that's just what we do. And so, you know, when Aria comes up to me and asks me for something, because of the nature of our relationship, she doesn't beg me. She says, oh, please, Papa, would you do this? Please, would you do this for me? She just walks up to me, looks me in the eye, says, Papa, I want this. And I said, okay, I see leadership on you, Aria, at four years old already, right? I see leadership on you. And there may be times that she doesn't get what she's asking for, but as, a, as in my Papa's heart, I want to give her every single thing that she asks for, that she tells me. And the thing that you and I need to understand, as sons and daughters, according to Hebrews chapter 4, we have been given the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ so that we can stand before the throne of God with boldness. Now, that boldness doesn't mean that we demand things of God. But it means that we stand before him unashamed. We stand before him as part of the family. We stand before him, and based upon that which he has already promised to us, we can say, Father, this is what I need right now. And I don't have to be ashamed to ask for it. Because we have been taught, and quite frankly, I've, I'm on this I have to say I have to say this. I'm on this little rant right now that I find much in the body of Christ that way too much of our theology has been shaped by gospel music. <laughs> now I love gospel music, don't get me wrong. I love it. But so much of it is about Jesus get me out of here. Hurry up, Jesus come and rescue me. You know, there's there's uh Way too much declaring about how bad things are instead of how good things really are in God. And so every once in a while when I start, when, particularly when you start going after end time things and begin to go around to different churches, uh, you have to kind of break through the, uh, the veneer of the gospel music that too many of us have been raised up with that uh, don't exactly agree, the lyrics don't exactly agree with the word of God. Could I get an agreement in the, in the room, anybody? So uh, one of the things that I realized that there's so much of some of my favorite gospel songs that talk about how I need to beg God and cry out to God and, oh, God, save me, help me, all this other stuff. And I realized, you know what? I realized that has informed my relationship with my father. That the reality is I'm actually denying the power of his love towards me and his promises towards me when I feel like that I have to beg him, when the reality is, according to this word, he has already made a way for me to have everything that I need according to his divine power to live a holy and righteous life. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Will you say this with me? I lack nothing. I lack nothing because of his divine power for me. So guess what? Here's where the Gilgal comes in. No excuses. I may have a broken heart because of the way that I was treated as a child. I may have some trauma or, or woundedness because of the choices that I've made or the way that other people have treated me. 
But the word of God says his divine power is here to heal you, to restore you, to help you step into the fullness of who you were created to be in the first place. And therefore, there's no excuse to live an ungodly life because you're wounded. Somebody, I'm going to say this again, and let's see if I get an agreement in the room. There's no excuse to live an ungodly life because you're wounded. There's no excuse not to live in the image of Christ, even as a believer, because somebody hurts you at some time. The reality is, is that Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up our wounds, and if we'll quit living in the identity of a victim and begin to step into what it means to be more than an overcomer, to understand that everything that Satan has ever tried to steal, kill, and destroy from my life to keep me from living the dream of God, all of that is already under my feet because it's under Jesus' feet. Therefore, there's no more excuses because I lack nothing. Nothing to live the kind of quality of life he's already promised me. Every single time the children of Israel faced armies that were ten times their size, when they stood in front of huge fortified walls and were told by God, you're going to take this city, knowing that there were many multiplied more people within that city than were outside that city. As long as they did not allow the enemy to get an inroad into their camp, the Lord always came and fought the battle for them. Walls fell. Enemies killed themselves. They turned against themselves. How many of you, I've been reading 2 Chronicles 20 again. How many of you read 2 Chronicles 20 lately? Write that down. Read it again. Jehoshaphat had made a, a poor decision. He had made a covenant with Ahab, a wicked king. But how many of you know that even when we make poor decisions sometimes, God is still there to back up our act? Could I get an agreement? Because he understands our weakness. He understands that we don't get it all the time. So here they are now, the children, the, the children of Israel and Judah are facing three armies that are going to bear down on them, and it's certain doom. There's no way that they could ever leave, ever come out of this battle in any way, shape, or form winning. Jehoshaphat gets on his face and says, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And you all know what happened. It's just such a funny thing that all of a sudden the three armies get mad at each other and they start fighting against each other and they all end up killing each other. And gosh, isn't this kind of strange that they brought all of their loot and all of their gold and all their silver and all of their precious possessions into battle with them so that when, the, when that army of Judah walks into that valley and sees all the dead warriors, they happen to find gold, silver, and precious things all around them and they end up with all the spoils of war? Come on, somebody praise God, will you? If God did it for Jehoshaphat, who did make a mistake, why not me? Why not you? No matter what's coming against you, no matter what 
forces of darkness are seeking to try to steal, rob, or kill the dream of God for you, your family, your church, your life. No matter what's coming against you, there is an overcomer that has already promised that he will overcome every single enemy against you and not only destroy the threat, but literally restore to you everything that has been stolen from you over and above anything that you could ever ask for. So when we understand that not only the provision of his power for the promises, provision of his power for the promises, but you also understand that not only do we become children who get to stand before the Father's throne, but we literally... I got to read it again. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through their true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory into excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by these promises you might become partakers of the divine nature. We literally share within our own bodies, his nature. Not just, understand this, not just the image. Image is one thing. We are the image of God. That God restored the image of God to us through Jesus Christ because Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives in us. But not only do we get the image restored, but literally we get the nature restored of what it means to walk in the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That is, that we share on a daily basis in his divine nature so there's no sense of any separation between us and God at any time. Mature sons and daughters have such a confidence in their father's love, integrity, that backs up the promises of his word. That even when our feelings betray us, even when our circumstances seem to come against everything that God has promised. It's in his divine nature that we share, that we stay firmly rooted and grounded in the power of his love, knowing that no matter what, and, and stuff is going to happen, folks. You might as well turn to somebody and say, stuff is going to happen. It's not a negative confession. It just does, right? It just does. But in the midst of it, in the midst of all of that, there is such a firm understanding and conviction in the power of his love, in the power of his covenant, and the power of his promises for us because of the very nature of him who dwells within us that we absolutely have nothing to fear. And although my feelings may be going a little wacky every once in a while, my feelings do not declare the fact of what I already possess in him in Jesus' name. Amen? So, you know, it's a little cloudy outside, and it's a little humid, and it's a little dreary outside. But to allow the, the very atmosphere uh, around us 
to dictate to us what the reality, what we carry, is something that unfortunately Christians fall into that trap every single day. The reality is that instead of us being affected by any atmosphere, we're the ones that get to affect the atmosphere. We're the ones that get to declare through his very nature that is within us, we get to change the atmosphere in every place that we get to walk into. Jesus never was ever impacted by whatever storm he walked into. He was never impacted by any attack from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the religious leaders of his day. He wasn't even impacted, although he got a little frustrated, with the unbelief of his disciples. In John chapter 13, there's this beautiful thing where he gets to the place where he wants to show the magnitude of his love for his disciples. And it says at the very beginning of John 13, he says, Jesus, knowing that he had come from the Father, knowing that he had done all that the Father had given him, and knowing that he was going back to the Father, took up the towel, got the pitcher, and began to wash the disciples' feet. It was in the very understanding of where he had come from in sharing this nature of God, that he was able to do those, the most simple, mundane thing that showed the depth of his love for even those that were going to betray him, those that were going to abandon him, those that in just a few hours were literally not even going to be able to stay with him, even though he begged them to stay with him. You know, you would think if Jesus asked you, if you're with Jesus and Jesus says, hey, guys, stay up with me a little bit. I need you to pray with me in this. And you kept falling asleep. You know, you'd think you might be serious enough to do that, you know. But the reality is he knows the weakness of human flesh. And even though he knew that all eventually would leave him, at least of those that were around the table, he still bent down and washed their feet to show the magnitude of his love for them. By the way, ladies... The women didn't leave him. Come on, women. You can get more excited about that. The men all left him and betrayed him, but the women didn't leave him. The women stayed with him all the way through the cross. Is that right? How many of you know there were women disciples? Is that true? There were women that, uh, do we know that? Is that right? There were women disciples. As a matter of fact, they were the ones that had the money bags. They were the ones that actually financed Jesus' ministry. It wasn't the men. It says that in the Bible. Read your Bible every once in a while. So anyway, so in the midst of this understanding of the sharing of the divine nature, there's some things about this generation that you and I are living in right this minute that we need to wake up to. And here are those four things. Right now, this is where we get to the nitty-gritty of it. The first thing, and, and the reason why I compare this moment to Jacob being in the wilderness and encountering God at Bethel is that the church is mostly asleep to the moment that we live in right now. The church mostly thinks because they are so programmed by 24-hour cable news and by listening to all of the garbage that 
passes through our airways and through our printed media, that somehow what they are declaring is the reality of what's happening in this world. And I'm telling you that in Jesus' name, that is, it really is, uh, excuse me, it really is fake news. It really is fake news because nothing of what's really happening in advancing the kingdom and all the amazing things that are happening in raising up the quality of life in this earth is happening at this moment because of the advancing kingdom of God in this earth. Nations, cultures, people groups, cities are being transformed and changed because much of the church has gotten off of its pews and got onto the streets and began to actually take responsibility for the generation that they live in. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? You see, when I, we grew up in the Jesus movement a little bit, right? Jesus movement. And the main, the main message was, Jesus is coming He's going to come any minute for us. He's going to rescue us out of this place. So we just did our rapture practice all the time, you know, and we just thought that the world was going to end any minute. The problem with that theology is that, therefore, you take no responsibility for the future of this world. You take no responsibility for changing cities, for going after people groups, for literally bringing transformation to the the places in this earth that still need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about about Jesus get me out of here well thank God that we have moved beyond that thank God we've understood that we have been given a mandate by Jesus to not only deal with the spiritual needs of this world but literally be world changers history makers and culture shapers to begin to be a generation that sees whole portions of our world transformed by the ever-increasing glory of his kingdom. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? So this is who we, this is the four things. Number one, we are an identity generation, an identity generation. It says in John chapter one that God, through Jesus Christ, gave everyone who desired to do so the authority and the right to become children of God. That's John chapter 1, verse 12, you note-takers. Literally, not only have we been invited in as a family, but literally we have been given the right and the authority to step into a partnership with God where we are co-laboring with Him and we're called into the family business. How many of you remember the movie Lion King? Raise your hands. How many remember the movie Lion King? So do you remember at the very beginning of the movie, Simba wakes up his dad, and they go out on this big rock. And Simba's looking at it, and it's the entire horizon. And Mufasa says, everywhere the light touches is our kingdom. And it's a beautiful picture of what your father wants to do with you. He wants to show you the horizon of your life, the horizon of this world, and to say to you, son, daughter, this is the family business. And everywhere my light touches is ours. 
as in every place you put the sole of your foot, I'm given to you. Now, the one place where the illustration breaks down is where Simba talks about the little dark place over there. Remember? How many of you remember that? He says, what about that dark place over there? And Mufasa says, oh, we don't go over there. Well, if you know the story, they end up over there. And folks, that's exactly where we go. We go to the darkest places. We go to the places where there is no light. That's what giving light Christian fellowship is founded for in the first place. Understanding that there are men and women that are called to be torches, that are called to be fireballs of the glory of God to go in the most darkest places of this earth and to bring, give the light of the kingdom of God into the most darkest places in this world. Human sex trafficking is coming down and being destroyed because of the glory of God upon men and women who have taken on that giant, taken on that monster, taken on that mountain and saying, we're not going to stay silent as long as there are children and men and women being sold into human sex trafficking. That's a dark place in our world, but it's a dark place that's being lit up by the glory of God. So when we step into this as an identity generation, understanding that we are committed to knowing who you are in Christ, understanding that, it's, that you are not defined by your history, you're not defined by your previous choices. You're not defined by how people have treated you. But indeed, you're defined by who your papa calls you right now. And he calls you a beloved son or daughter of a loving father. That's your identity. And you walk into it. You step into it understanding that daddy always calls his kids into the family business to co-labor with him to do what he wants done in the earth. That's the whole purpose of the prayer, Father. Father, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the second part of this generation. The first thing, we're an identity generation. Secondly, we are a heaven to earth generation. In Matthew 6.10, you know that's the part of the Lord's Prayer that is really being highlighted in this day. We are believing for and seeing the power of a culture of heaven coming down to earth. And the way that we pray, the way that we act, the way that we declare it is not from an earthly perspective. That is, if we continue to try to declare and, and, and pray and intercede, looking from an earth to heaven perspective, then we don't get the big picture. But how many of you know, by the way, I've, I've said this before, but I'm going to ask the question again. How many of you know what the most important part of the jigsaw puzzle is? Anybody know? Everybody's scared. They don't want to give the wrong answer. The most important part of the jigsaw puzzle is the box. Because you see the picture. Because you see the big picture. You get to see what you're at, what's actually being put together, right? 
And you need to understand that we, need, we do this. How do we bring the culture of heaven to earth? We do it by having a heavenly perspective. Because right now, you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we look at it from his perspective, not from our perspective. Not from the world's perspective. Not from news perspective. Not from our neighbor's perspective. Not even from my history's perspective. I look at it from his perspective. Could I get an agreement in the room, anybody? That's what it means to bring heaven to worth. The third thing about this generation, that indeed we are a destiny generation. I know Dr. Melody and Stephen preach on this a lot, and I'll just simply say this. There is a hunger that is rising up within all peoples, not just the church, but there is a hunger that is rising up that people are hungry to know why they are alive. And I'm telling you, that is a fire that has been kindled by the Holy Spirit so that the harvest of 7 billion people can... I mean, there's 7 billion people on the earth. There's a harvest that's coming out of those 7 billion people, much of whom will come because the church will answer the question for them, this is why you're alive. This is why you're here. You're not an accident. You're not somebody's idea that went wrong. You're not somebody's surprise. Indeed, you are here for a purpose. There is a reason why you're alive. There's a reason why you're still here on earth. And we, the church, are called to give that answer that will bring in the harvest of a billion souls. Jeremiah 29, 11 is, is the key verse for this. For I know the plans I have for you. They're for good and not for evil. Lastly, we are a kingdom generation. The shift out of church being about just making sure the church is okay and living within our four walls and doing our little church thing, that day is over with. And we know it's being over with because we see literally churches that have sat doing their own little thing for 50 to 100 years that are now emptying out. You know, okay, here's where I'd get dangerous. I honestly think the closing of churches that have not been fulfilling a kingdom mandate is one of the most positive things that can happen in our nation. Do I believe in revival and renewal of those churches? Yeah, absolutely. I believe that the Spirit of God can come in and revive those churches and restore them to kingdom mandate. But when the leadership and the people refuse to do that, and instead they decide to try to be a museum instead of a disciple-making machine, then it's best for our nation that they close and allow some Hispanic congregation or some African-American congregation or some Asian congregation or some congregation of white folks or multicolored folks that decide that, hey, that building could be a great use for a kingdom church or make it a great coffee shop. I don't care. Because how many of you know God doesn't dwell in buildings made by human hands. We are the temple of God. We are the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are the fireplaces. And the thing you must understand in this moment, in this kingdom generation, that the kingdom of God is advancing in many forms, not just simply through the local church. However, it is the local church that is called to be the agent of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not the church, 
Let me put it this way. The church is not the kingdom, but the church is called to be the advancing agent of the kingdom of God. And it's this fire that God is kindling in the hearts of humans right now to try to find out why in the world do we exist? Why in the world are we here for? What is this thing that every other kingdom seems to be collapsing? What is it that is still staying strong? We come forth with the kingdom message that says it's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that will never pass away. Jesus made an interesting comment in, and write this down, Luke chapter 12, verse 46. And this is what he said. He was talking about that entire chapter in Luke chapter 12 is about the disciples getting ready. It is all about readiness. It's about getting ready for what was about to happen. And it was about kingdom advance. And he makes this statement. He says, I've come to bring fire upon the earth. And how I wish it was kindled already. Now, because fire was used in the Old Testament as a piece of judgment, when we think about fire, we think destruction. However, how many of you know that things change in the New Testament? How many of you know that, you know, in the Old Testament, if somebody came up and touched a leper, that they would be considered unclean? If you touched a dead person, you'd be considered unclean. But in the New Testament, under the ministry of Jesus, when I touched a leper, they became clean. When I touched a dead person, they came to life. And so in the New Testament, fire is not a picture of destruction or wrath. It's a picture of Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, it, when, when John prophesied about him, I pray that he prophesied. He says, he's come to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. You can break that up into two baptisms if you want to, but I think it's the same baptism. I think it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that is to reside in every one of our hearts that was shown by the tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. And all God is looking for right now are fireplaces. He doesn't do wildfire. He's looking for fireplaces, and fireplaces give light, and they give warmth, and they give power. And I'm here today to say, giving light, Christian fellowship, the reason why you're still around after 35 years, through all the ups and downs and ins and outs and all that other, is because God trusts you with his fire. He trusts you with his children. He trusts you with the power, the light, and the warmth of his love because you give it away so freely. And in Jesus' name, as I close today, I just want to say this. You ain't seen nothing yet here. You ain't seen nothing yet. You know, because the other 
piece you have to understand about yourself real quick is you're, you're an Antioch. You're an Antioch where people come and they go. They come and they go all the time. And those are the fireplaces that God needs right now significantly in the earth because he's looking for fireplaces that will not only bring people to them, but will not hold on to them with some kind of, you got to stay here and do our program, but instead send them out to the nations. And that's what this church is all about. Could I get an agreement in the room? That's what this entire ministry is all about. So here's what I do. I just want to close in prayer. I just feel at the end of the service, what I was supposed to do is if you want a fresh impartation for power, of fire and of light, just going to invite you to come up here when I'm done praying. Uh, who's going? Is anybody closing here? Do you guys need to say anything once I close? Okay. So that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray. Why don't you stand up? Put your stuff down. Did you get something today? Well, let's ask for more. <laughs> Holy Spirit, come in power right now. Father, I thank you for this amazing family. Thank you for your grace that you trust them with God. The grace to overcome, the grace to release, the grace to equip, impart, and deploy. And right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, you literally, this is, you're fulfilling the vision that I just saw earlier about a whole room full of fireplaces that not only glow and bring warmth and light where they are, but every place they go. Every place they go, they bring the light and glory of your love because that's really what it's all about, Papa. It's about your love. So Spirit of God, just come in power right now. Come in power right now. Come in power, Holy Spirit. Move in this room. Manifest your love and light in this room. Manifest your power in this room in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit of God, fall. Right now to the one who's been struggling with their identity in Jesus' name, pour out your life and love upon them. To the one who feels like their feelings have been betraying them and just causing them to just think crazy things, in the name of Jesus, Lord, just touch them. Right now to the one who walked in here so discouraged about something that's happened in your family or something that's happened in your, in your realm of influence, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, bring encouragement and grace and strength in the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God fall right now. Even as you're praying, the Spirit of God is touching many of you. There's, if you feel you know, a sense of heaviness or a sense of electricity that's touching you in some way or even weeping, whatever, whatever is, is going on. If you don't feel anything at all, once again, we're not by our feelings, but the Spirit of God is touching so many of you in Jesus' name. So Spirit of God, just come in power right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for the grace that is here. Thank you for the grace that is here for every person in this room. And literally all I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite anybody who wants to come up, and I'm just going to uh, just put your hands out. I'm not even going to touch your forehead. I'm going to touch your hands because it's on your hands that the fire is going to come, and it's going to release you. And if you'd like to receive, 
a fresh impartation for power. Just come on up right now, and I'm going to touch everybody in this room. If I could have a couple of guys stand behind some folks so that we don't have any uh, body dropping and, and injuring themselves in any way. But uh, come in power, Holy Spirit. And if there's not enough room, you can wait, because I will literally just pray for every person in this room. Thank you, Father.